the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against Him, He gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Isn't that cruel? Job's children didn't sin. Again, we have the advantage of knowing what's going on here in this cosmic situation in the heavenlies. Job's children didn't sin. How cruel for Bildad to say this. Now, again, we have to be careful. I hope that no one would ever say anything this cruel, but I can tell you that sometimes we say things that are cruel and we don't know it. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Job. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Job, he'll be explaining how suffering doesn't just come to people because they've sinned. It's true that there are times when we suffer because of our own sinful decisions that bear bad fruit in our lives. But there are many other times when we go through times of trial and suffering simply because we live in a fallen world. There are times when we go through trials and suffering in order to help mature us and bring about a greater good. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Job chapter 2 for part 2 of today's message titled, Friends and Suffering. You will live longer if you eat Krispy Kreme with friends than Brussels sprouts alone. That's just a fact, all right, from this research here. But isn't that interesting? It's like people who even didn't really take good care of themselves physically, if they had a good circle of friends, outlived people much more than those who had good eating habits but were socially isolated. Another report that was done several years ago that was published in JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, they took 276 people who volunteered to be infected with the rhinovirus, which is the virus of the common cold. And these 276 people were then studied after they were deliberately infected with the rhinovirus. And JAMA reported the results, quote, those with strong relational ties were four times better at fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. These people were, those who had strong social ties, were less susceptible to colds, had less virus transmission, and get this, and produced significantly less mucus than the more isolated subjects. <laughs> so it is true. Friendly people are not as snotty as unfriendly people. <laughs> it's just a medical fact, friends. Now, come on back, because I mix snot and Krispy Kreme in the same breath. But listen, come on back. 
So we can all appreciate that friends are necessary physiologically, socially, spiritually, emotionally. And particularly when you're going through a crisis, friends are critical. Now Job has five friends in his circle of close friends. The first one we're introduced to here in verse 9 is his wife, Mrs. Job. And she speaks up here. And she observes Job's suffering and his pain and his oozing sores and all of this. And she says in verse 9, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? What a charming woman she is. (laughs) The kind of girl you want to bring home to mom and dad. She says, look, I see you in your misery. And you know what you really need to do? You just need to curse God and check out. Why don't you just die? Now, you know, she's gotten a lot of... um, heat for her comments over the centuries. St. Augustine labeled her, quote, the devil's accomplice. John Calvin called her, quote, a diabolical fury. But in all honesty, I call her a woman in pain. She's a woman in pain. You know, I know that this book is entitled Job, and it's written about her husband, and he's the one who is specifically the target here, and and God has allowed Satan to afflict him. But let us not forget that this dear woman has just buried 10 of her own children too. And she's a woman in pain. She's experienced tremendous grief having to go through the funeral for 10 of her own children along with her husband. And while what she says is certainly not encouraging, certainly perhaps not even appropriate, I think all of us at some point in our lives can look back and realize that in the midst of our own pain, we've probably said some regrettable things. I think she's perhaps one of the most misunderstood women in the Bible. And I think probably we need to cut her some grace. Because if you've ever regretted saying some things rashly because you've been hurting, then you can identify with this woman's pain a little bit. And she said something here that wasn't really appropriate, but perhaps we should give her some grace because she herself is suffering over the loss of 10, all 10 of her children. That said... I want us to look primarily at the other three friends out of the four guys uh, in Job's life here. We'll get to Elihu later. And there are, these three guys, they, they start out doing some things good, and then they end up doing some things bad. So we're going to look at what they did right first. We're going to look at what they did wrong. And then we're going to put it all together and learn three important things for ourselves about how to be good friends to people who are in suffering. So for those of you taking notes, here's what Job's friends did right. First thing they did right, look, glance back at verse 11, when it says there that Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, when they heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. First thing that they did right was that they came to him when he was suffering. They got together, they had heard the news, and and they, they got together, they said, you know what we need to do? We need to go to Job right now. We need to drop what, we, what we're doing, we need to stop what we're doing, and we need to go take care of him and minister to him. And so they dropped everything that they were doing to go be with their friend. Listen, folks, suffering doesn't come by appointment. All right, When you hit a, a moment of crisis in your life or some unexpected moment of suffering, it's never planned. I mean, by definition, that's what a crisis is. It doesn't, it doesn't come knocking ahead of time. It just suddenly hits you. Which means that if we're going to be friends to people who are suddenly impacted, we need to also suddenly drop what we're doing and go and go help them. And that's what they did right. Second thing they did right was that they, number two, they empathized with him. Look at verse 12. 
It says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. You ever seen someone who's been through something so horrific that they just look, they even look different? And they come upon Job and he's got sores and he's, and he's shaving his head. And he's just miserable and they, they hardly recognized him. And they tore their, their clothes, which was a sign in the day of, of grief. And they throw dust on their head, a sign of mourning as well. And it says here that they wept. He says they began to weep aloud. And you know, Romans 12, 15 says that a true friend mourns with those who mourn. King James says, weeps with those who weep. And they take this moment to identify with his pain. Now, they can't understand exactly what he's going through, okay? Because they're not in his shoes. And as much as we might have similarities in our suffering, we should never assume we know exactly what somebody is going through. I think a a problem that some of us do with good intentions but is not good to do is to say to someone, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly what you're going through. So, for example, if someone loses their father, their father dies, and you've lost your father, for you to say, I know exactly what you're going through, we know what you mean. You mean, I lost my dad like you lost your dad. But the fact is that that person lost a unique relationship with their father that you, you don't know exactly what they're going through and the uniqueness of that relationship and they don't know exactly the uniqueness of your relationship with your father whom you lost so we we need to be careful of saying things like i know exactly what you're going through because every situation is unique every painful moment is unique every crisis by itself can sometimes be unique so what they did do well though was they just wept with him and The Bible says, again, rejoice with those who who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So it's appropriate when they laugh, you laugh with them. When they cry, cry with them. They empathized with them. They did that well. Number three, something else they did well, was they spent time with him. In verse 13 it says, And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They just plopped themselves down in the dirt with him. And they're just going to be there with him. And it says, for seven days and seven nights, they said nothing. Now, out of this story, and again, this is the oldest story in the Bible. Out of this story, besides the creation story itself, but out of this story comes a practice now today in Jewish homes. When someone has lost a loved one, and you're going through a grieving process, friends will come and do what is called sitting shiva. To sit Shiva, Shiva in Hebrew means seven, means you just come for seven days and you just park it there and you just bless them by your presence, but also with your silence. The danger is we always think we have to say something and we always think we have to explain something and it is sometimes best to just bless someone with your presence and not say a word. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble by what we say, even though we mean well. Now, defer to them. Some people in their suffering and grief may not want other people around. So give them the space they need. Some people need to mourn and to grieve alone. That's the way that they deal with it. All right? But if they're willing and open to just have you there, they're modeling for us this wonderful example that sometimes the best thing we can do for someone in crisis is just to be there for them without offering any advice or asking any questions or giving any explanations as to why. Just to be there 
in silence. And by the way, I want to say this to you tenderly to some of you who have been going through something and you've thought that God was silent. And you've thought, why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't it that it seems that God cares because He seems silent? And it could just be that in the anguish of your soul, God is sitting Shiva with you as well. In Proverbs 18, 24, it says, A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the Bible says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Sometimes in his silence, he's simply there in his presence to minister to us. So these three guys do three things well. They came to Job when he was suffering. They empathized with him. They spent time with him. And they start out really good, all right? But then they open their mouths, all right? And then the story completely radically changes here. They end up showing by what they say just how ignorant and foolish they are. All right, it was Abraham Lincoln who said, um, if you, let me get the quote right. He says, better to keep your mouth shut and let others think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. And these three guys are going to remove all doubt. And everybody's going to see here in a moment just how foolish that they are. It would have been better for them just to sit there and say nothing. But then they open up their mouths. And as a result, they, they express many inaccuracies and misconceptions about God. And they have this overarching belief you're going to see come out in their conversation. They basically believe that Job is suffering because there's something wrong in his life. And that God is punishing him. And so... As a result, they repeatedly urged Job, come clean with whatever's going on in your life because that's why something bad is happening to you. And so they offer some wrong advice here. So now we're going to shift to what they did wrong, okay? First guy we're introduced to is Eliphaz. Go to chapter 4. We're just going to skip through a few chapters now to see uh, just a little bit of what they say to him. In chapter 4, we're introduced to Eliphaz. And here's, for you note-takers, here's what Eliphaz basically is going to say. He's going to say to Job that Job must have sinned, and that's, and, and that's why God was judging him. In chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he said this, Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? In other words, you're not, you're not innocent, because that's why you're perishing. must be something wrong in your life. He says, Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed... Those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Okay, now, by the way, that last little bit that he says there, there's a kernel of truth in that. And, you know, even the New Testament says, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We talked about it last week, that sometimes, sometimes, the suffering in our lives we bring on ourselves through our sinful choices. But it is never appropriate, it wasn't appropriate for Eliphaz, and it's never appropriate for us, to assume that someone's suffering is the direct result of sinful choices. It certainly was not the case with Job. Job was an upright man, blameless, shunned evil. Okay? There wasn't a sin issue going on here in Job's life that he deserved this. This is a cosmic thing happening in the heavenlies that we know. Job doesn't know. Eliphaz doesn't know. And so Eliphaz just kind of assumes here there must be something sinful in your life. And that's why you're, you're going through all this. If we want to be a true friend to somebody, even if that's true, we should never assume it or say it. Leave that up to God. That's not our business. Our business is to come along with some comfort, not judgment. Comfort, not judgment. In this case, is a very judgmental thing to say, and, and he's even wrong at, at, at saying it. But the problem is that in those days, they believed something called 
The doctrine of retribution. And even in Jesus' day, his disciples were believing it. We're going to see in a moment how he had to correct them about this. And the doctrine of retribution basically said this. You're familiar with it, even if you don't know that's what it's called. It basically goes like this. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. That's what a lot of people believe today. You know, if, you, if you're really good, you know, good things will happen to you. But if you do bad things, karma is going to come back on you. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. And that's where Eliphaz is in his ignorance. He's saying, you know why this is happening? You're, you're, something bad is happening to you. There must be bad stuff going on in your heart and in your life. In John chapter 9, we see that Jesus' own disciples get rebuked for believing this kind of a thing. In John 9, first three verses, it tells us that Jesus comes upon this man who was blind. And his disciples say to Jesus, Lord, seeing this man blind, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was their question. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we're more obsessed for the cause of someone's suffering than we are being an extension of healing and comfort in their lives? Shame on us. Shame on the disciples. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? There's got to be some sin going on somewhere in his life. That's why he's afflicted with blindness. And Jesus corrects them. And he says, neither. Neither this man sinned nor his parents. Even though we're all sinners. What Jesus is saying is this did not happen as a result of some sinful choice in his life. Stop thinking that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Jesus says, neither. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus healed him. So the things that we go through and the afflictions and the diseases and the, and the grief and the bad things, again, in large part due to a fallen world in which we live. We live in a fallen world. This is Satan's playground. And as a result of the fall of man, sinful things happen in this world. We should never be judgmental like this guy and think that if something bad has happened to you, it must be because there's sin in your life. That's not true. That's not true here. That's not true in a lot of cases. And so learn from what he did wrong. Now learn from Bildad. Friend number two, go to chapter 8. In chapter 8, Bildad says some things here. And for you note takers, basically now Bildad gives an explanation for why Job's children died. He basically believes that Job's children must have sinned and that God was judging them. That's why they died. In chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, Bildad said... Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against Him, He gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Isn't that cruel? Job's children didn't sin. Again, we have the advantage of knowing what's going on here in this cosmic situation in the heavenlies. Job's children didn't sin. How cruel for Bildad to say this. Now, again, we have to be careful. I hope that no one would ever say anything this cruel, but I can tell you that sometimes we say things that are cruel and we don't know it. So let, let me just give a word of advice as one who has, over the course of now 30 years of ministry, having observed the pain of parents who have lost children and having done funerals for parents who have had to bury their children, a couple of things not to say. And here's one thing I've heard people say. I know they mean well, but let me tell you, this is, this is hurtful. Please never say to grieving parents... Well, God just needed another angel in heaven. You heard somebody say that before? God just needed another angel in heaven. First of all, that is insensitive. Second of all, it's theologically incorrect, all right? When people die, and, or children or adults, you don't, you don't go to heaven and become angels, all right? Angels are separate beings created by God. Believers who know Christ 
as their Savior or little children who go to heaven stay as human, not as becoming angels. But be that as it may, some people say things that are just insensitive. They don't even realize it. Don't say, God just need another angel in heaven. Also, don't, don't say things like, well, there's a reason for everything. Don't say that. Don't say, well, it must have been God's will. Don't say that. All those things are so dismissive. Just, it almost sounds like, well, just get over it. Again, didn't your mama teach you this? When you don't know what to say, say nothing at all, right? When you don't know what to say, just keep your mouth shut. Practice sitting Sheba, all right? Just don't say anything. So this guy says something so cruel and so lame. Friend number three is Zophar. And in Job chapter 11, go to chapter 11. We're going to see a couple of verses of what he says. Zophar is the harshest of the three friends. And basically what he says is that he believed that Job deserved even more suffering, but that God was being merciful. All right. Now, let me tell you the angle that some people will communicate this line to you and your grief or your suffering. Some people will say, well, you know, you ought to count your blessings because it could be worse. What? You ought to count your blessings because it could be worse. You ought to count your teeth because you're about to lose them. You know what I'm saying to you? I mean, have you ever felt like that when somebody says stuff like that to you? So this is basically what Zophar is saying. Look at chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. Verse 4, you say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight because Job was a righteous man. And But he goes on, Zophar says, oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you. And disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. That last statement there, if you have a New King James Bible, it says, Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. That's what he said. He's saying you, you, you deserve more than this. You ought to just count your blessings that you're, you're not worse off. How much worse could this guy get, go? I mean, how low can you go? He's been, he's been here deprived of everything in life. Almost, And so he's in complete misery. And this guy, Zophar, comes along and says, you know what? You just ought to be thankful because you should, do, you should get more than what you got. Now, just to show you that I'm not interjecting my own opinion about the ignorance of what these guys are saying, you don't need to turn there. But there's an epilogue at the end of the book of Job. It's chapter 42. I'm just going to read one verse, verse 7. This God speaks at the end of the book of Job. And in Job 42, 7, God says to Eliphaz, the first of the three friends... God says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. God corrects those three friends at the end of the story. He says, you guys have misrepresented me. Your theology is wrong. Your counsel is wrong. You, you have been ignorant in what you have said. And he rebukes them. In fact, he even says, go offer a burnt offering of sacrifice to me and Job will pray for you. That's what God says to these three guys. So it's ignorant, and their counsel is foolishness. But what we can learn real quickly, I'm going to run through these very quickly because we're already out of time. Putting together what they did right and what they did wrong, here's three takeaways for us to be good friends to those who are suffering. First one is, come quickly to the aid of a friend who is suffering. Again, be willing to drop what you were doing. Suffering doesn't happen on a schedule. Yours might have to get interrupted. Come quickly to those who are suffering. Number two, empathize with someone rather than criticize or theorize about their suffering. All right? Weep when they weep. Laugh when they laugh. But don't say things like, well, if you hadn't have done this, this probably wouldn't have happened. Don't criticize them like that or try to explain it or rationalize it away. Just empathize with them. And then thirdly, from the example of sitting Shiva, offer the gift of your silent presence. The old saying, silence is golden, is especially true 
when someone is going through something difficult and all they really need is for you to just be there. Just be there. Amen? Thanks for tuning in today to Cornerstone Connection. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you come join us for one of our weekend services. Our group of believers gather each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.45, and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better, meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll learn more about our church and our vision for fulfilling God's calling in our lives. You'll additionally be able to access our archive of previous messages under the Teachings tab and subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date with each new edition of Cornerstone Connection. Did you know you can also take the biblically sound messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go? Just download our mobile app to your smartphone to have Pastor Gary's teachings with you whenever life offers you a pause in the day. Find a link to download the app at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end. But there's much more to learn from the incredible faith of Job. We hope you'll join Pastor Gary again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.